Once upon a time, typewriters were the technology of the day to help make writing more efficient. Some of you remember those machines, correct? Typewriter was commonplace in the offices uh, from the mid-1880s all the way through the 1980s when computers began to replace them. And as with any printing endeavor, uh, most of us make mistakes. And while erasing uh, with a pencil is quite easy, erasing ink from a typewriter is a little more difficult. Yes, children, it wasn't as easy for us to erase our stuff as it is for you to swipe and delete on your handheld device. Here's an excerpt from the Herald Democrat during the 1950s. It says, typewriter erasers were available, but their effectiveness were limited to the kind of typewriter ribbon used and often did not erase completely. In professions where precision were essential to avoiding any type of legal problem, this meant absolute perfection with any typed document. As such, even the slightest mistake meant that the typist had to begin again. This wasted time and paper and caused considerable frustration from newspapers to students typing reports to businesses eager for efficiency and perfection. Well, during the 1950s, a lady by the name of Betty Smith, Nesmith Graham was working in Dallas as a secretary. And apparently she was having quite a hard time correcting her typing mistakes. Perfection in the documents was lacking for her. So she began to experiment uh, with water-based paint to brush over the mistakes and type over them once the paint had dried. Her formula became more effective with more experimentation in her home, and the demand climbed as secretaries across Dallas asked to purchase her correction fluid. And according to the Herald Democrat, by 1956, she was filling orders full-time out of her home for mistake-out. That's how she called it. Ms. Graham changed the name to Liquid Paper in 1958. And in 1970, the company sold one million bottles. The Gillette Company purchased Liquid Paper from Graham in 1979 for $47.5 million plus royalties. That's quite a price to pay to cover up some typing mistakes. It wouldn't be great if, if we could take the mistakes, the problems, the evil of our day and just throw some mistake out at it and have it disappear. You and I have been walking through a series of wonderful words to help us on our journey this year to stand in awe and wonder of our awesome God. In, in John 16, Jesus said, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And the words that we've been looking at, words like reconcile, incarnation, predestination. These words help us to be courageous because they remind us of the work that God has done for us in order to rescue us from ourselves. Today, our word is erasure. Erasure. Perhaps it's not a word that, that you might have thought about as being helpful to include in a theological term study, alongside words such as predestination. But there is power in understanding this word, and it is fitting for us today. When Miss Graham found the solution to correct her typing mistakes, she did it by working the problem. And if we're going to understand erasure today, we too need to work the problem. 
You guys remember the, the Apollo 13 story? Remember that story, right? If you're not familiar with it, it's the uh, story of three astronauts, Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swigert, who ran into a bit of trouble on their mission to land on the moon. I want to play a clip from the movie Apollo 13 just to kind of help us get in the frame of what we're about to do. Let's look, watch this. AC bus one, AC bus two, command module computer, and O2 flow high. Maybe this is a caution and warning. Houston, we are venting something out into space. I can see it outside of window one right now. It's definitely uh, a gas of some sort. It's got to be the oxygen. Roger, Odyssey, we copy your venting. Give me an alarm. Okay, let's everybody think to the four levels. Okay, now let's start right back on the beginning. Okay, listen up. Quiet down. Quiet down. Let's stay cool, people. Procedures, I need another computer up in the RTCC. I want everybody to alert your support teams. Wake up anybody you need, get them in here. Let's work the problem, people. Let's not make things worse by guessing. Life can routinely bring chaos and crisis. We can be going about our day, on mission, doing what we're supposed to do, and then bam, chaos. And it's common in those situations for us to look for answers. Why did this happen? What do we do about it? It's also common sometimes for us to like to get to blame. We look for one who is responsible. Whose fault is it? And the problem can sometimes be that we forget in a situation that we might have some culpability in it. See, the Bible describes humans as precious David declares in Psalm 139, I have been remarkably and wondrously made. We are created in the image of God. The majestic creator used himself as a blueprint to create man and woman. The scripture also states that man is wicked, so wicked that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead in trespasses and sins. Now my guess is that some of you might be thinking, here we go again. I've heard this so many times. Trespasses and sins, blah, 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 blah. I've learned this already a thousand times. Perhaps, and if that is you, perhaps this statement by L.C. Sproul will help us get ready to talk about this nasty stuff again for a few moments. Sproul says this, says, we're so accustomed to our fallenness and corruption that while our moral sensibilities may be offended when we see someone involved in a gross and heinous criminal activity such as mass murder, Normal, everyday disobedience to God doesn't bother us. We don't think it's that important because to err is human and to forgive is divine. Stroll continues, this aphorism suggests that it's natural and therefore acceptable for human beings to sin. It's implied also that it's God's nature to forgive. If 
he doesn't forgive, then there's something wrong with his very deity because it is the nature of God to forgive. But this is as false as the first assumption. It is not necessary to the essence of deity to forgive. Forgiveness is grace, which is undeserved or unmerited favor. We are so accustomed to sin that we do it all the time. So, to get to our word today, to help us understand it fully, let's take a look at the terms trespasses and sin to help us work the problem. Colossians 2.13. Colossians 2.13 says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. When you were dead in trespasses. The word trespasses in the Greek is paraptoma. Paraptoma, properly, defined properly as to fall away after being close beside. A lapse, deviation from the truth, an error, a slip-up. Wrongdoing that can be relatively unconscious non-deliberate. Think of it as overstepping of boundaries. Let's say a running back is in an American football game is racing toward the goal line, and just as he reaches the last few steps to score, he slips to his side, and the edge of his foot hits the sideline. He's out of bounds. He fell away after being close to the line and doesn't reach the goal. You could also liken paraptoma to putting up a no trespassing sign to warn people that should they decide to cross this line onto this certain property, then they are out of bounds. They're out of line. So God's law is the line. Anyone stepping over that line, even unintentionally, brought about death. It brought about death. Now to our minds, does that seem fair? Not necessarily at first glance. But we must remember that we are created in God's image. We are not God. For God to be God, he must be perfect. And the Godhead demands holiness and he demands purity. Here's part of Hannah's prayer when she brought her son Samuel before the priest Eli so that Samuel could serve the Lord in his life. Hannah said this, 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is no one like the, holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you, and there is no rock like our God. There is no one holy like the Lord. God is holy and demands holiness. Would a football game be any fun to play or watch if there were no sidelines? it wouldn't even be worth it. I mean, that's why when, when we were kids, we played tackle the man with a ball, we eventually put some boundaries on the game. We might have started the game with just throwing the ball up in the air and saying, go. But we soon realized that the field of play with no sidelines made the game worthless. We could run around the whole city and not, not catch if that guy was fast enough. The Lord has given us boundaries and we were dead by stepping outside his law. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul coupled paratoma with another word to depict our deadness. Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. The word translated sins here comes from the Greek word hamartia. Now, hamartia is the, one of the most common words used in the New Testament to describe the human condition. Here's the definition. Properly means no share or no part of, 
It's loss or forfeiture because not hitting the target. Sin, missing the mark. It's also a brand of sin that emphasizes its self-originated, self-empowered nature. It is not originated or empowered by God. Not originated or empowered by God. All right. For those of you who have studied hamartia, who studied sin, this term before, what's the most logical verse that we're going to read next? So we shout it out. Romans 3.23. You're right. All right. Everybody's paying attention. Good. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of glory of God. All have missed the mark. All have not been able to reflect the glory of God perfectly. This, this, this statement is a summary, though, of what Paul has been talking about before. And I want to read a number of verses to get a little bit more depiction of what this fall looks like. Romans 3, 10 through 18 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, I know this truth. I've read this passage a number of times. I've learned this before. But still, in my, in my humanness, my fleshness, I'm like, there's really nobody good. There's nobody righteous. I mean, there's been some really great people throughout history. I've, I've read about them. I've watched documentaries and movies depicting their lives that they took care of people. Surely one of them is righteous. Here's three men in history that are considered to be great by many. King David, Martin Luther King Jr., Ravi Zacharias. In Acts 13, 22, we see the description of King David of Israel said this way. It says, after removing him, Saul, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. God described David as a man after his own heart. Before David became king, he was honorable. Remember the time that he was hiding in the cave? He was trying to stay away from Saul who was trying to kill him. And all of a sudden, he ended up in the same cave as Saul. And he had a chance to take him out. He had a chance to kill his enemy. He didn't. He didn't because it was going to be dishonoring to God. I'm not so sure I would have been restrained. I mean, I have rights, you know. What about Martin Luther King Jr.? He was a good guy, right? After all, our nation made every third Monday in January a day to honor him. Listen to this portion from his famous speech in 1963. Dr. King says, We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative 
protest to degenerate into physical violence again and again. We must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people for many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. See, Mr. King seemed to understand the truth in the midst of some great sin and seemed to lead well to help others do what is right, to honor people, to bring them together no matter their skin color. He sounds like a great man. What about Ravi Zacharias? Zacharias was a Christian apologist who wrote many books, and he was excellent in debate, trying to help people understanding the deep truths of Scripture. He seemed to have a winsome way to, to take a hard question about faith and highlight the truth without being rude. He was firm and gentle at the same time every time I watched a video of him. Certainly, he was a good guy also, right? I mean, I suspect many people came to know Jesus as a Savior because of his work. Surely, these guys are righteous. Along with their great accomplishments and things done for the betterment of people, do you know what these men have in common? It appears that they were all womanizers. It appears that they were all womanizers. We know the story of David's infidelity. He took many wives, which he was not supposed to do. And the infamous story of him taking Bathsheba to his bed, lying and then killing her husband, reads like a headline from CNN. While rumors circulated for years that Dr. King was involved in extramarital affairs, recently Mr. David Garrow, one of King's most prolific biographers, uncovered evidence that Dr. King may have been involved with around 40 women. Apologist Ravi Zacharias passed away in May of 2020. Shortly after his death, a report appeared about a sexual immorality with a few women at some spas he held ownership with. In December 2020, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries confirmed the allegations after hiring a firm to investigate. How heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenching. Guys that that I would like to look up to, I can learn from. They're not righteous either. And before you and I get caught up in our own goodness and, and compare our lives to these men saying, well, I'm not that bad after all, let's take a moment to make sure we are thinking clearly. Let's continue in Romans 3, verse 13 says, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. The throat described as an open grave is a graphic declaration of being dead in sin. See, graves were closed up to hold the stench and the gross visual picture that happens with a decomposing body. It was to hide those things. Have you ever lied? That lie, no matter how small you think it is, reeks as it pours out of your mouth. You ever said anything hurtful to someone? Those words are as deadly as vipers, venom. 
Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. There's no fear of God before their eyes. I've listened to a lot of people, read a lot of stories over the last number of months, and I've heard a lot of nasty comments. A lot of nasty comments, even from those who are brothers and sisters. And I'd like to read some, some of the kind of statements that I've heard between a, couple of, a few groups of people. A few groups of people. Some similar comments that I've heard. This is the first. I've heard a Trump supporter say something like this. If you don't support President Trump and fight to keep him in office... You are not a true American. How dare you? Do you even believe in God? I've heard supporters of President-elect Biden say something like this. 300,000 people have died because of COVID in the U.S. It's Trump's fault. And if you voted for him, you don't love people. How can you call yourself a Christian? Another debate in our society at the moment. We have militant mask wearers. They say only people who don't care about others refuse to wear a mask. You don't want to save lives? You are so selfish. And then we have anti-mask wearers who just spout back, you're just living in fear. You have no faith. What's common about these depictions? They're all half-truths, and a half-truth is a lie. See, speaking and acting this way or anything similar is the essence of not fearing God. Instead, it's an attempt to control situations in our own strength, which are only in the hands of a sovereign God. And therein lies the problem. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they wanted control. They wanted to know what God knows and be like him. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we've done that simply by worshiping ourselves. Our wants, our desires, our rights. The idolatry of self is strong with each one of us. Romans 5.10 declares we were enemies of God. Romans 6.17, you used to be slaves to sin. Sin is deceptive and it hardens our hearts according to Hebrews 3.13. Hamartia leads to death for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death and that's the problem that makes us uncomfortable. We're all destined to die, every single one of us. Our feet lead to death. We cannot stop it, though we desperately try. Whether we die from the current pandemic, a car wreck, or peacefully in our sleep at 98 years old, we are going to die. There is nothing 
that we can do to change that fact. But, the, but not only does our personal sin cause us to die, it can, in fact, lead to the death of others. This last year, we have seen many cities stormed. Riots spread throughout the country as BLM protests descended upon cities. Last week, the U.S. Capitol was stormed and breached during a Trump protest. It's reported that at least 25 people died in the riots throughout 2020, and five people died in the breach of the Capitol. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their past, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Pastor Vody Bauckham has been quoted as saying, we are not seeing terrible things in our culture because we vote the wrong way. We are seeing, seeing terrible things in our culture because men love darkness rather than light. The love of darkness leads to mob mentality and death just as we have seen in recent days. No one is righteous nor exempt from this evil. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. Guilty. This is the dark reality that if we pay attention to it, it helps us understand our wonderful word for today and appreciate the work of God. Erasure. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He erased. He erased. The word in the Greek is exilepho. I mean, properly to, to rub or smear out, complete, completely remove or wipe away, obliterate, remove totally from a previous state with the outcome of being blotted out, erased. Originally, it meant to plaster, or to rub smooth, or to whitewash. Later, it referred to wiping out in the sense of to cancel, like rubbing out a writing or seal impression left on a wax tablet. Thus, exilepho was used for canceling obligations and or entitlements. This is this comment by William Barclay on erasure. It says, the substance on which ancient documents were written was either papyrus, a kind of paper made of the pith of a bulrush, or vellum, a substance made of the skins of animals. Both were fairly expensive and certainly could not be wasted. Ancient ink had no acid in it. It lay on the surface of the paper and did not, as modern ink does, Bite into it. Sometimes to save paper, a scribe used papyrus or vellum that had already been written on. When he did that, he took a sponge and wiped the writing out because it was the only on the surface of the paper the ink could be wiped out as if it had never been. God, in his amazing mercy, banished the record of our sins so completely that it was as if it had never been. Not a trace remained. So you and I, as enemies of 
God are just as guilty as the angry mob who cried out to release Barabbas and called for Jesus to be crucified. Our sin left an IOU that we could never repay. Yet God, yet God took that record of debt. Listing our offenses, condemning us to death, and he nailed it to the cross and he erased it. He erased it. He wiped away the record of debt. And this wonderful word, exalepho, brings us royalties that we could have never acquired on our own. It brings us forgiveness, life, and true freedom. Forgiveness, life, and true freedom by trusting in Jesus for salvation, recognizing that he took my place on the cross, I gain these royalties. Forgiveness means that I don't have to be fearful of my debt being called on. Jesus paid it. He erased it. The certificate is no more. The erasure brought me life He made you alive with him and forgave us of our sins. I no longer have to worry about death because even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. I am secure by trusting Jesus that I will spend eternity in peace. And right now, because of his work, I can live in peace right now because the gift of of being made alive means that I understand this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. We gain life by Christ erasing our debt. The Lord erasing that debt makes us free. Having our sin erased, having it nailed to the cross with Jesus is the only way to be free at last. And when we're free at last, we get to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. This freedom allows us to to not be taken captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world. We don't have to be swayed by foolishness. We're also free from condemnation by those who delight in ascetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm. By God nailing our certificate of debt to the cross, he erased it, and at last, we are free. So now what? Now what? First, do you believe? Do you believe? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the erasing of your sins? If not, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Your slips and falls that have crossed the boundaries of God's holiness are paid for by Jesus. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead and be saved. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus, you know him. Your sins have been erased. Then act like it.
act like it. Colossians 3, 1 through 5 says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Seek what is above. I might have shared this with you before, so indulge me if I have, but I get to meet with people who have made a profession of faith in Jesus and are asking questions and preparing for water baptism. Many of those people are children. And in my time with them, we, we talk about the basis of the gospel, trying to help them understand and, and make sure they know what they're talking about and, and a- answer questions that they may have. We talk about what it means to follow Jesus, to walk with him, to be one who is called a Christian. And in that conversation, I always ask them, hey, since you trusted Jesus, have you sinned? The answer is always yes. Then I look at them and ask them this question. Do you have to sin? Do you have to sin? And many times there's quite confused looks on their faces, and I get different answers. Do you have to sin? Hold that thought for a second. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, I'm not perfect, just forgiven? Now, I'm not here to pick on you if you have this bumper sticker slapped on your car or you wear this T-shirt. But can I ask you a question? Does that statement declare the wonderful grace of our Savior? Does it really depict what we're talking about being saved, my sin being erased? I'm not so sure it does. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death what you used to be described as. Now, while we are here on earth, before we get to go to our eternal home with the Lord, we are in a battle with our flesh. Paul specifically addresses that. And we often might step over the boundaries and act act as enemies of God. That might happen. But we do not have to sin. We do not have to sin. The residual royalties of God erasing our debt allows us to, allows us to, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving with one another and if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Almighty God, there's so much in that. Just saying these words, I'm convicted and knowing that, oh, I, I fall into sin because I just neglect the truth that you have erased it from me. You have made me new. You have, you have forgiven my debt. You have made me alive and made me free and oh, I so long to go back to slavery which is so stupid. But thank you. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. That right now, like no matter what happened even the last few hours, because of your grace, I'm, I'm free. And I pray that you would help me and my friends here, that you would help us to confess. Help us to be honest. Help us to fight and battle our flesh and not act like your enemies that we once were. Help us to live in gratitude and honor because Jesus wiped away our debt. Father in heaven, I pray for anybody who's listening that does not know you yet. I ask that you would pierce their heart. Help them see their need. Help them know that, that you are God and that you are good and you have provided everything they need if they simply trust in your son and his work on the cross. And I ask that you would allow them to do that. Father, help us be people of your word. Help us be people who live it out in all the chaos that surrounds us in our culture, even in our own country. God, I ask that you would help us to bring light to the darkness. And all God's people said, amen.